Hello, my name is Justin. Today's scripture reading is from Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. We'll be reading from the NIV version. And this is after the Lord chooses not to bring destruction upon the city of Nineveh after he hears Jonah's word. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching heat, east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Justin. So here we are at the end of the book of Jonah. This is the last message that we'll have uh, from this Old Testament prophetic book, and, you know, it's interesting that I grew up in church pretty much since I was a little kid, going to Sunday school, and I remember learning this story of Jonah, and, you know, usually as a kid you hear about the fish, you know, that swallowed Jonah, but I never, ever heard this part of the story of Jonah as a kid. Um, and if you look at a lot of children's books, uh, they don't include chapter 4 either, because Jonah gets angry at God, and how do you end the children's story like that? Like, hey, fish preaches, they repent, and, and then the prophet's angry at God. You know, it's not a really good ending. So they usually just leave that out. And as I studied and prepared for this, especially in chapter four, uh, I'm grateful for the insights of Tim Mackey, who you might recognize his name. He's one of the founders of the Bible Project uh, that you can just Google at Bible Project, and it's a huge plethora of resources for understanding the Bible. And specifically in chapter 4, I, I'm, today I'm incorporating some of his insights, just to let you know. Well, have you ever been angry about when things don't go your way, and the way you think they should go? Have you ever been angry when somebody hurts you, or the person you love, or someone you care about, and they seem to just get away with it? There's no recourse for them. Ever angry when a car suddenly pulls out in front of you and you have to like brake really hard and dangerously and you just feel like, man, that guy's, you know, anyway, whatever you say in your mind. 
Ever angry about that? Ever angry when you see injustice happening in the world that seems to just go unpunished? Just continues on. Well, if you've ever been angry about these things, you may be able to relate a little bit to uh, Jonah. Because Jonah chapter 4 starts with this statement. (coughs) Excuse me. But Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Why was Jonah angry? Why was he angry? Well, let's do a little review. Jonah starts off in chapter 1 with the word of the Lord coming to him and telling him to go to Nineveh and preach against the wickedness of that city. But Jonah decides that he's not going to do that. So Nineveh is east, he goes west. And he goes to Tarshish, which is about as far west as you can. It's somewhere in Spain. So he hops in this boat. The Lord provides a huge storm. The boat is being in danger of capsizing. So Jonah tells the guys on the boat, throw him overboard. So as far as Jonah is concerned, he's going to die. And the storm's calm. Jonah's out there at risk of drowning. And God, in his grace, sends this huge fish. must have been a big fish. Swallows Jonah. Saves Jonah. And Jonah has time to think about his life and what's going on in the belly of the whale. Uh, not the whale, but the big fish. We don't know what it was. And so he's sitting there, and he comes to realize God saved him. So he's very grateful. And he's like, Lord, you are the God of salvation. Salvation comes from you. I'm so grateful you saved my life. And so the fish then, God has his fish vomit Jonah up on the land. So then the word of the Lord comes a second time to Jonah, saying to go to Nineveh. So Jonah, we saw in chapter 3, reluctantly obeys the Lord this time and goes to Nineveh and preaches a very short message that in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overturned, destroyed. And it's kind of like we said, you know, a little bit of uh, prophetic sabotage could be there. And then the, the amazing thing is everybody repents. They're like, the city repents, the king himself repents of their evil ways, the king makes a declaration that everybody's got to repent and wear sackcloth, even the animals are forced to repent and wear sackcloth, and everybody repents. And then that chapter ends with, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened And for a prophet of the living God, this would be great news, right? This is like a big success story. This is like you preach a sermon and like thousands of people come to Christ. And it's like, wow, put it on my resume or something, right? People were moved to repent of their evil ways because of the message of God through Jonah's words. This short, truncated little message he gave. It's amazing. But Jonah is a horrible prophet. He's the worst example ever of a prophet. And chapter 4 reveals how Jonah has not really changed since chapter 1. Not really. So Jonah was angry because of God's grace toward the Ninevites. He was angry that God relented. He was upset. Jonah wanted the Nineveh to be judged and destroyed by the Lord God, not to be spared. He knew God was gracious because he was a Jew from the northern tribe of Israel. And if you know the history of the northern tribe of Israel, they're called Israel. Israel was, the nation of Israel was split into two, northern and southern parts. Well, he was from the north. And that northern nation of Israel, 
they worshiped other gods. They kept falling into this worship of other gods over and over again. And God and his grace would send these prophets. He had compassion on his people. And he'd send these prophets like Jonah to warn them and tell them, repent of your evil ways. Sounds familiar, right? And, and, and he would send one prophet after another, just like Jonah. And, but God had not wiped them out yet, even though they kept going back to this idol worship. Instead, he had this compassion on them. And we see this anger because of God's wonderful grace and forgiveness for people that deserve punishment um, when they turn and show some kind of repentance again and again in scriptures. Especially in the New Testament, Jesus told a couple parables that displayed this kind of anger about God's grace that we see here in Jonah as well. Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. You remember that son, the this guy has two sons, and the youngest son dishonors the father greatly and says, hey, can I have my inheritance? I know you're alive, but you know, can I have it anyway? <laughs> In a sense, I wish you were dead, but just give it to me. So he gives it to him, he goes, squanders it, prostitutes, whatever, right? He just blows all the money. Well, the older brother here becomes angry because the father, on the return of this dishonorable son, comes back, throws this big party for him and says, hey, he's back, let's celebrate, he's back, he's returned home. And the older brother's super angry at this. And he refuses to join the party. So there's one example. Jesus tells another parable of the workers in the vineyard in Matthew chapter 20. You remember this story, the workers in the vineyard? The master of the vineyard says, hey, I need workers. So he goes and hires people to work for 12, a full day, 12 hours. He says, I'll pay you a denarius, which is a good day's wage, a recognized day's wage. But then the story goes on. He keeps hiring people throughout the day, and then he hires at the last hour of the day a bunch of guys. And they work one hour. And then at the end of the day, he pays everybody the same wage, one denarius. So the guys who work 12 hours for the whole day, see these one-hour guys, get paid the same amount as them. And they're, they're angry. They're upset because of that. And listen to how the owner responds in this case. It's highlighted here. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Another act of grace there. Jonah thought God's grace toward the people of Nineveh was very wrong. And he was livid with anger. And listen again to Jonah's prayer now following this statement that he was very angry, or he was angry in uh, verses 2 and 3. This is what Jonah prays to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah was so angry, he wanted to die. He wished he was dead. And Jonah, interestingly, repeats this same sentiment three times in this chapter, that he wishes he was dead. He'd rather die than continue to live because of this grace that God has shown to the Ninevites. And it's ironic that Jonah knows of the grace of God, his character, and he states it so clearly, and then he says he wishes he was dead because God is showing his grace to the Ninevites, Jonah's enemies, and the enemies of the Jews. The way Jonah described God here is significant. When he said, and I'll, I'll repeat this, it's highlighted in yellow, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger 
and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. This was a quote from the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 6. And in that context, if you remember the Israelites, the whole nation, this is when they were all together, not divided into nations, but they were saved from the slavery in Egypt. It's called the Exodus. They were in Egypt. God sent 10 plagues. The Pharaoh finally let them go. He brings the whole nation to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments that God had already spoken to them. So the nation knew these Ten Commandments, but God goes, I mean, Moses goes up to the mountain to, with two stone tablets, and God writes these Ten Commandments on the tablets themselves. And while Moses is up there for about 40 days, the Israelites get impatient. And they're like, where is this guy? Let's make an idol, which was, I think, the second commandment, don't make any image. Anyway, they say, let's make it, I get a great idea, let's make an idol of golden calf in to represent this Lord God that has saved us from Egypt. And, and then they made this golden calf. They bowed down and worshiped. They gave sacrifices to it. And it was horrible. It was a great sin against God. And Moses comes down. He breaks the tablets. God punishes the people. And then he renews his covenant with them. Again, in his grace. And he asks Moses to make these two more tablets. So Moses makes the tablets, goes back up on the mountain, and God is going to write again on these new tablets, the Ten Commandments. And while he's up there, God reveals himself to Moses. And guess what he says? In description of himself to Moses. He says these words. This is what he says there. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. If God was not compassionate, and gracious to the Israelites, they would be gone. They wouldn't exist. And therefore, Jonah would not exist either. <laughs> so he, the Jews and Jonah knew this character of God that he stated. Are you ever angry because God is gracious and compassionate to your enemies, to people that you despise, that you hate? There's a more modern-day example of grace being shown that caused a big stir in our country. On October 2nd, 2006, a shooting occurred in West Nickel Mines School, an Amish one-room schoolhouse. Maybe some of you remember this. It was in the Old Order Amish community of Nickel Mines in village, a village uh, in Bart Township, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. And this gunman, here you see, Charles Carl Roberts IV, he took hostages in this school and he shot 10 girls. And five of these girls, aged 6 to 13 years old, died. The other five were injured, but they survived. And then he committed suicide, uh, shooting himself inside the schoolhouse. And, the, and what's interesting, this Roberts, he was a milkman, him and his family lived just within almost a mile from the schoolhouse. So he was like part of this community. Well, a spokesman after the shooting uh, for the gunman's family said, an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours, just hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. The Amish community members visited and comforted Robert's widow, the wife of the gunman, uh, and also their parents, his parents, Rob, the gunman's parents, and her parents, the parents-in-law. And one Amish man 
was reported to have been holding the gunman's father, the sobbing father, for almost an hour, trying to comfort him. And the Amish established a charitable fund for the family of the shooter, because now their, their moneymaker's gone. They did that for this family. And about 30 members of the Amish community, amazingly, attended the gunman's funeral in support of the family that you know, was left behind, the wife and his children and the parents and things like that. And then also, Marie Roberts, who is the widow of the killer, the gunman, was invited to even one of the funerals of the victims of what her husband, who had, her husband had killed. It's just, uh, it just totally, the country didn't know what to do with this kind of showing of grace and forgiveness to this family and the, gunner, the, the gunman. And there's a movie that was made about it. Amish Grace, it's called. It was released in 2010, so about four years after the shooting. And it's depicted these, it's pretty good. It depicts the different responses and struggles of the country and especially this community in response to this horrible act that happened. And it follows specifically one mother of one of the, daughter, uh, the girls that was killed and her own personal struggle to show grace toward the shooter and his family. Yeah, take a look. When the wideness of God's grace and mercy includes the people that we hate and we despise, it, because of what they have done to us or people we know or love, it seems like God's grace is scandalous. It's like this dark side of grace because it's applying to those people we hate. And it's hard to accept. Jonah was angry because of this. That God's grace was being applied to people he despised and hated, the, the Ninevites, the Assyrians. And in the rest of Jonah, chapter 4, we see God's grace then toward Jonah. So it's amazing. God, uh, Jonah is acting this way, and then God, the rest of this story, turns to focus on Jonah, where God is patiently, he's, his character is showing compassion and abounding in love and patience toward Jonah. Three times God spoke to Jonah here in chapter 4. God spoke more in this chapter than he did in any of the other chapters. And he's trying to convince Jonah, help Jonah understand his grace for Jonah and for the Ninevites. Why is he showing grace to the Ninevites? The first attempt we see in verses 4 and 5. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So after Jonah chewed out God in his prayer and asked God to take his life, God asked this question, is it right for you to be angry? And what does Jonah do? He doesn't do anything. He doesn't respond. He, doesn't, he ignores God. And he goes outside the city because he's still hoping that Nineveh will get destroyed and he doesn't want to be there when it happens. So he goes out there and he sits there. He makes shelters. He's going to sit there and wait. And he hopes that God's destruction will still come. Maybe, maybe he's hoping that they would repent of their repentance. You know, Maybe he hopes that they would turn back to their evil ways so that, that he can watch it actually happen and get destroyed. What was going through his mind? He's being so irrational right now. because Why is he angry? Because God said he's not going to do it. But then he goes out and he builds a shelter and sitting there waiting for it to happen. It just doesn't make sense. right? He's being irrational. He was angry because God's grace toward the Ninevites and yet he's waiting for destruction to happen. This makes sense. Okay, God's second attempt here 
is to help Jonah understand his grace, he uses a different tactic this time. And he uses this plant we see, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to read those again for us. So then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. For the first time we see in this story something that Jonah's very happy about. And what is he happy about? It's about a stupid plant, right? This is the only thing. He shows the most emotion in this story about a plant. And Jonah chewed God out in prayer earlier. He wished he was dead. And then God provides this plant to grow, to shade his head so he feels better. And he's super happy about the plant. And then God provided a worm in scorching heat. And Jonah goes, becomes faint and the plant dies because of that. And, and he wishes he was dead again. This is, this is Jonah. I want to die. Oh, this plant is the best thing ever. Oh, I want to die. Sounds like a kid, doesn't it? Like, yeah, you know, up and down and up and down. And sometimes it sounds like us, doesn't it? You know, these extreme emotions. And then God, in his grace, asked Jonah this question kind of once again Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah had this one day connection with this plant. And yet he had such emotion and passion about the plant. It's crazy. And then uh, the plant was the only thing he seems Jonah showed great concern for up to this point in the story. God's question here should have shaken Jonah. Hey, wake up. Don't be so irrational. And us reading this story, right? We're, we, we read this question, is he, why is he so angry? Can, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? We think right away, no. It's not right for this Jonah to be angry, right? It's not right. Well, how does Jonah respond? Yes, it is. And I, I'm so angry, I wish I could die. You know, it's like it's totally, again, so extreme and the satire right here. It's another example of that. So what does God do? Because he is compassionate, bounding in love, relenting of sending calamity. Well, he makes a third attempt for Jonah to understand why does he have so much concern and show grace toward the Ninevites, these people? Verses 10 and 11. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprung up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals? And that's how the story ends. Crazy. (laughs) Ends with animals. It's like you're waiting for like, what's Jonah going to say? How does he respond to that? We don't know. That's it. That's how the story ends. That's probably why it's not in the children's stories. It's not really like tidy, wrap up, (laughs) happy, everybody's good, you know, things like that. But that's, that's it. So God, it's interesting here. God in his great wisdom, he's like, okay, 
how can I communicate to this guy? And he uses this common ground of concern. Jonah actually shows emotion and concern for something other than himself, really, though it did benefit himself. He covered you know, his head and made him feel better. But he says, okay, I'll grant the concern that you have for this plant, though just one day here, right? And I made it grow and die and stuff, but you had no responsibility, but you, you were concerned. Okay, I'll grant that. Isn't it right for me to have concern for the city of 120,000 people? See what God's doing? He's so patient with Jonah. We see the character of God in here with Jonah, him dealing with Jonah. And what did God mean by this description of the people of Nineveh? Not knowing, or as it says here, it's highlighted, who cannot tell their right hand from their left. Well, this is just an idiom that means that they were misguided. In a sense, they were going right, and when they were supposed to be going left. Or they're going left, and they were supposed to be going right, and they just didn't know which way to go. They're misguided. They, and it's similar to the description throughout the Old Testament of people being like sheep that are dumb. You know, if they don't have someone leading them, they don't know where to go. They just do whatever, you know, walk off cliffs, whatever. They go in the, you know, they just get into trouble because they're so stupid. So they just don't know which way to go. This is what that means. But the truth here in chapter 4, and also it runs throughout all of Jonah, is that God loves our enemies. He loves our enemies. Now, does this truth cause you to want to run away from God, <laughs> like Jonah? Does it cause you to get angry, like Jonah? Does it cause you to become so irrational, like Jonah? Because in the end, the Jonah is a story about us. It's not necessarily about just Jonah. It's pointing a finger at us. And how do we respond to God's grace, especially when it applies to our enemies? Are we one? Jonah was angry, and he was this ridiculous character in this story because he was unwilling, even though he knew about God's grace and his character, but he was unwilling to accept it as applied to the people he despised. And he thought they should receive God's judgment. You know, this story challenges our own hypocrisy. God loves our enemies, and he wants you and me to do so as well. Because he loves us, too, and we were his enemy until we turned toward him. Listen, you know, Jesus talked about forgiveness of our enemies a lot in his teachings. And listen just one place here in the part of the Beatitudes. Or not the Beatitudes, but the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Matthew 5, verses 43 through 45. The words of Christ. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, meaning that you may look like your Father in heaven when you do this. Because God loves your enemies, and so you are to too. But if we're like Jonah, we're going to say, you know, Jesus, I am simply not going to do that. Actually, I will not forgive that person, and I want them to be judged and punished for what they have done. Period. That will be like Jonah, being like Jonah. And simply, this is religious pride. The more we realize how much you and I are forgiven in Christ Jesus by what he has done through his death and resurrection, then we can stand on his forgiveness of us 
so that we then are enabled to forgive others because we have been forgiven. God's love enables us to love our enemies because it's just a reflection of himself. And this is Jesus' announcement of the kingdom of God, that we all need God's grace, that we all need his forgiveness. But some of us probably think like we don't need as much of God's grace as others because we just haven't done as much wrong to hurt other people. And again, this attitude is religious pride or spiritual pride because what it is, and it's just as despicable in God's eyes as it is for those who are doing horrible things to other people because what it is saying is, I don't need your forgiveness so much, Lord, because I can depend on my own goodness. And God says that is despicable because we are in desperate need of the Lord God and his grace and mercy. We don't see our own desperate need. And like Jonah, we may feel certain people deserve God's judgment and not his forgiveness because of what they have done to us or the people we love or helpless or the downtrodden. And we cannot hope for anything but the worst for them. We are in slavery to this wrong thinking if we're feeling that way. If, we are on, if you, somebody comes to mind right now and you cannot forgive them, if you cannot and you hope they, they will receive what they deserve, oh, we are, we are not in a good place. We are like Jonah. Now, there's a book, uh, Divine Intruder, author James Edwards, and I'm, I love this quote here because it, it explains to us that Jonah, and he's referring to Jonah, he writes about Jonah, the book, and it's that it's pointing a finger to us. And this is what he says here, quote, Will we bind God by our judgments, or will we free God to transform our enemies, even ourselves, by grace, meaning his grace for us? So God calls you and me to reach out to those people in our lives whom he longs to show his love to through us, and that includes our enemies, because God loves our enemies. He calls you and me to do the same for his name, for his glory, and only in his power. Because we cannot do that on our own. We can't. It's not humanly possible to love people who have harmed us so deeply. Only in Christ Jesus are we able to do that. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we are so helpless without you. And we fall far short when it comes especially to people that have harmed us and hurt us, that have sinned against us and you. But Lord, we pray again that as your body of, the body of Christ on earth, that we would continue to be transformed to let go and to be able to forgive as you have forgiven us, to show grace as you have shown grace to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Lord, we know that we will fall and stumble in this. But even in that, we know that you work all things for the good of those who love you because of your grace that you have shown. And as you've shown the great patience and compassion for Jonah and his irrationality, so you do for us. And so we stand strong on this truth of who you are and what you have done in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.